Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Heaven, I'm in heaven. I told Camel I wanted to start my sermon by singing, and he, he asked me not to. Um, but that tune that Campbell played uh, was from the movie Top Hat, 1935. Fred Astaire singing those opening words of the song, cheek, Dancing Cheek to Cheek, Heaven, I'm in Heaven. So, welcome to the last Sunday in the church year. It all gets wrapped up this morning. Next week, we're going to start all over again with the first Sunday in Advent. And so this morning, because we've got this theme of endings, and also because we've got lessons from the Bible that have to do with the end of life, uh, the topic of heaven is set before us. Now, I want to say right off that when I think about heaven, all of the systematic theology that I learned in seminary just goes right out the window. I find myself starting to become like a child, which I think actually is kind of biblical. So these couple, last couple of weeks, I've been asking a bunch of you, I've been asking the child in some of you, what you think heaven is going to be like. One of you said that heaven's going to be a garden. Lots of flowers, color everywhere, water splashing. Someone else said to me, man, I'll just be chilling. Um, a member of the vestry said, I'm not going to be on a committee. Um, one of our young ones said, I'll have my own room. Someone else said, and I bet a lot of us can resonate with this, no more lower back pain. One anonymous person said that heaven is going to be like Stockholm. And if that doesn't make any sense to you, after the service, ask Jacob Smith what he meant by that. <laughs> For me, heaven's going to be, among other things, lots of reunions. Uh, I had four grandparents who all died when I was very young. And I'm really excited to meet my mom's mom and dad and my dad's mom and dad and to get to know them. Also, when I was in sixth grade, uh, we had a dog named Happy, who was a real day brightener, and Happy was hit by a car. I can't wait to get reunited with Happy in heaven. So, all of this is terrific for the last Sunday of the church year. But we also have a problem, because inside of us, there's not only this child. There's also an adult, and it's an adult who reads the newspapers and listens to the news, and who therefore has just one or two little misgivings about heaven. Ten years ago, there was a television crime drama called The Closer. And in one episode, there was a bad guy who was killing other really bad people and then harvesting their organs to give to little children who needed transplants. And eventually he's caught. And the police say to this man, who said you could play God? And the man replies, the position was vacant. So, on this last Sunday of the church year, there's this conflict, this conflict between the child in us who's looking forward to a heaven that's full of laughter and love 
And the adult in us who reads the daily paper and who says, well, where is God? Where is God? It's the right question. And there is, in fact, an answer. The answer is found in the gospel that Nancy Hannah just read for us. What we've got in this gospel is the picture of a man of peace, a man of mercy, a man of love, a man of childlike gentleness sometimes, and he's being put to death. Being put to death by the same people who just cheered him on a few days ago. He's been preaching love for all these three long years. And this is what he gets. So at first glance, it looks like that doctor from the Closer TV show was right. The position is vacant. However, there are two sentences in today's gospel that give a different answer to the question, where is God? And in order to highlight the first of these two sentences, I want to tell you briefly about a person named Ruby Bridges. Back in 1960, Ruby Bridges was the first African-American child to desegregate the all-white William France Elementary School in New Orleans. The entire white population boycotted the school. Every morning, there were 200 people outside the school. Every afternoon, 200 people outside the school screaming at this first grader. They were carrying a little coffin with a black doll inside of it. They were screaming death threats. It took 25 federal marshals to escort Ruby in and out of the school every day. And at that time, there was a wonderful child psychologist named Robert Coles, who asked if he could be Ruby's therapist, because he assumed that Ruby would develop some symptoms from all of this trauma. And one day, Coles heard from Ruby's teacher that as Ruby walked by all of these people screaming at her, she would always stop for a moment and look at them. And the teacher saw that Ruby's lips were moving. So Coles said to Ruby, Ruby, your teacher said that she saw you talking to those people in the streets. And Ruby said, Doctor, I wasn't talking to those people. Well, who were you talking to, Ruby? I was talking to God. Why were you talking to God? I was praying for the people in the streets. Why would you want to pray for those people, Ruby? Well... Don't you think they need praying for? Where did you get that idea, Ruby? The minister told me that in church. I pray for them every morning, and I pray for them every afternoon when I go home. Ruby, those people are so mean to you. You must have some other feelings toward them besides wanting to pray for them. I just keep praying for them. And I just hope that God will be good to them. What do you say in the prayer, Ruby? I always say the same thing. I always say, please, dear God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Ruby came from an impoverished home. Her mother and her father couldn't read, couldn't write. 
But Ruby's pastor, Ruby's church, gave her the power to withstand all of those threats. Ruby's now in her early 60s. She's happily married. She has three wonderful grown kids. And this day, she is a strong woman for justice. Jesus was just minutes from his own death when he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And look at what happened when Ruby's church told her about Jesus saying those words on the cross. Do you think that what we do here at Calvary St. George's is unimportant? Think of the seeds that are sown when the little ones at the start of the service go out this door into the Sunday school. So it's a little harder to feel that the position is vacant when the witness of Jesus, as he's dying on the cross, can make such a difference to one little girl. And from her, all the way down to you and me this morning. That's the first sentence in today's gospel that gives a different answer to the question, where is God? Now, let me just for a second draw your attention to what St. Paul has to say in this morning's second lesson about where God is. Paul says this, Through Jesus, God reconciled all things, making peace by the blood of the cross. You see what Paul's saying? He's saying that the word peace and the word cross go together. Because on the cross, every ounce of the final pain of the position being vacant was set on Jesus' own shoulders. Which is to say, on the cross, God killed despair. And you remember the first person who discovered that amazing news? He's in today's gospel. He's the one who says, Jesus, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And you remember how Jesus responded. He didn't say, have you been properly baptized in the Episcopal tradition? He didn't say, can you affirm all the doctrines in the Nicene Creed? He didn't say, before you die, can you quickly say you're sorry to everybody that you've hurt? He simply said the second sentence that answers the question, where is God? He said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. There's one other person who had about as much human worth as this other thief on the cross. He lived in England in the 1700s. He was really rich and he made all his money in the slave trade. John Newton was finally converted uh, to the Christian faith. He became an Anglican priest. And you remember, he wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. And then he worked hard for the rest of his life in Parliament to abolish the slave trade. On his deathbed, John Newton was visited by a young priest. Let me read to you what Newton said to that young priest. He said, I am going on before you but you will soon come after me. When you arrive, our friendship will no doubt cause you to inquire for me. But I can tell you already where you will find me. I will be sitting at the feet of the thief whom Jesus saved. 
in his dying moments on the cross. That thief is our brother. That thief is our friend. That thief is our companion on the way. And so, because this is uh, the last Sunday in the church year, I want to close with one last brother of ours and of his experience of entering into paradise, of moving from this life into the life to come. And let me invite you right now to be thinking of somebody you love who has already gone before you into paradise as you listen to this experience written by C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce. He writes this. In joyous haste, the young man leapt upon the horse's back. Turning in his seat, he waved a farewell, then nudged the stallion with his heels. They were off before I well knew what was happening. I came out as quickly as I could from among the bushes to follow them with my eyes, but already they were only like a shooting star far off on the green plain and soon among the foothills of the mountain. Then, still like a star, I saw them winding up, scaling what seemed impossible steeps and quicker every moment till near the dim brow of that landscape, so high that I must strain my neck to see them, they vanished, bright themselves, into the rose brightness of that everlasting morning. And one day, by the grace of God, that is the journey that you and I will take as well, into the rose brightness of the everlasting morning. And we will join John Newton in sitting at the feet of the thief, who is our brother and our friend. And right now, in the very midst of the present life that we're still in, the one who loved that thief is right here, right now, loving us. So let's end by standing to sing together the first verse of Amazing Grace. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.